Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. I don't care what it takes. My baby's healed. I mean, I'm telling you, she is. Because God can't lie. I'm t- I seriously, see, we've been around, as I shared with him earlier, just a couple of that I spoke to. We, you and I have been blessed to be around the teachings of the word more than others. And so often we know what the correct thing is to say. You know what I mean? We know how to guard the words of our mouth. At least I hope by now most of us really understand that. But nevertheless, you know, we've been around these things for quite a while. Um, but as we all know, again, it's only when the pressure's on that what's really in your heart comes out, right? But I was just astounded in my reading a couple of days ago again about just the hardness of heart of the disciples. And so I just want to talk about that for a moment and then afterwards speak a bit, hopefully, to the righteousness thing that I started to, what I wanted to get to the last time I spoke. But I'm going to read Mark chapter 6, verse 49 and 52, real quick, as quickly as I can. I just want you to see it. This is, you know, I'm starting the middle thing. This is the disciples out at sea and they're afraid and Jesus is walking on the sea. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was the ghost. And they raised a deep, throaty shriek of terror. For they all saw him and were agitated, troubled, and filled with fear and dread. But immediately he talked with them and said, Take heart, I am. Stop being alarmed and afraid. And see, those words speak a lot louder to me in what I'm dealing with right now than ever before in my life. Just stop. I mean, he just says, Take heart, I am. Don't be alarmed. And afraid. And he went up into the boat with them. The wind ceased, sank to rest as if exhausted by its own beating. And they were astonished and exceedingly beyond measure, for they failed to consider or understand the teaching. They failed to consider or understand the teaching. Now remember, I want you, what I want you to catch, these guys. Really, really catch this. You and I have been around, most of us have been around, like I said earlier, churches, teachers who teach faith in God, who teach the Word of God is the final authority, right? These guys were walking with God Himself. They're walking with God in the flesh. They're walking with God in the flesh. No good Bible teacher, but God in the flesh. He's never lied. They've never seen anything he said not come to pass. And they were astonished, exceeding beyond measure, for they failed to consider or understand the teaching and the meaning of the miracle of the loaves. In fact, their hearts had grown callous, had become dull. Grown. I'd see, this is like I said, I'm thinking through the scriptures in Second Peter in two places where it says, I think it's the right thing to stir up your mind by way of remembrance. So I don't care how many times you've heard a message, you need to hear it again. Okay? If you don't think you need to hear it again, that's pride. And you've got an issue in your future. We need to hear it over and over again. We need to train ourselves how to hear 
how to hear, how to listen in truth, because what we hear determines how we believe. Anyhow, for their hearts had grown. In other words, there was a progressive issue. Their hearts grew, grew callous. What's callous? You know, it just words hardened, or, you know, past feeling. And their heart had become dull. Their heart had lost the power of understanding because their heart was hardened, it says in the King James. Same thing, he says exactly the same thing in Mark chapter 8 when he, he's talking about the loaves and the fish, and he says to them, why are you guys without understanding? He says it twice. Why, 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 why don't you understand? I mean, picture God, God himself is in the room. You've been sitting with God. You've watched him feed over 12,000 people with five loaves and two fish. You've watched him feed another 12,000 or 13,000 people with seven, you know, a few small fish and seven small loaves of bread. You've watched this happen. He's, they've already seen him, you know, the very first miracle turned water into wine. They've seen him walk in and raise this, uh, the widow's son off the burial pier as they were walking. Now, they've seen him raise the dead. They saw him heal the leper. They saw him, they saw this leper come up to him and they freaked out like on the Chosen series, if you've ever watched it, you know. They freak out and say, well, no, 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 Jesus... Jesus is not moved by earth's problems. We are, but he isn't. And he just, and he, I'm just saying, truly, see, I know that even today these words, I pray they won't, but can just go over your head because of what I'm sensing the Spirit of God trying to do. He's trying to tell us to do, to really, truly examine ourselves, whether we be in the faith are we actually believers? Or have we allowed places in our heart to have grown calloused? You know, and are we allowing ourselves, because it's only you that can allow this, no one else can do it. It's your, you know, it's the ultimate responsibility falls to you as an individual. Have you allowed yourself to become dull of hearing? Dullness not sharp anymore. This is why I used to love to teach on the art of listening. Sharp. Sharp. We need to be precise. We need to have a sharpness about it. But you can be dulled by the circumstances of everyday living. Let's face it, like I said, and there's something, like I said, I've learned greater, more, you know, I've learned more since this issue with my wife than ever before in my Christian walk. I because it's right up front, right in my face every single day. And you know, what do I believe? What do I really believe? Hallelujah. Then like I said, I've had to work through all kinds of things between the soul and the spirit because my, you know, they're just that, that's what, I'm a, still a human being. I don't know if any of you are, but I'm still a human being. So I have to deal with contrary things that come that they don't line up with what the book says he does. But see, I've been taught for so long and I've taught myself for so long the right thing to do in this situation, you know, or the spiritual definition of what faith should look like here. 
You know what I mean? That sometimes it's like you can do something that is quote unquote, you think godly because you know the formula to do it with. You hear what I'm trying to say? But like goes back to James's statement about prayer, heartfelt. And if you do spend enough time quiet, like we were just a few moments ago with, with him, with your intent on nothing, I will allow nothing to distract me. I'm here for you. He will begin, because he loves you so much. His love is so deep, so profound. He loves you so much. You know, he'll show you. He'll guide you. He'll speak to you. He'll show you, you know, where you're, hey, you're getting kind of dull here. You're losing your precision here. You're, you know, I love you. Don't worry, you're not going to fall. But you're losing your precision here. My disciples walked with me three and a half years. They saw the works of heaven before their face. And over and over again in scripture, he says, the disciples' hearts were hardened. They'd lost the power of understanding. I mean, think about it. In fact, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to turn to Mark 16 for just a moment. I just want to read that because, again, I don't know, it just astounds me. Um, Let me see if I can find where I want to start. Mark 16. Well, okay, whatever. Mary and uh, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Salome, they come and verse uh, three says, and they said to one another, who will roll back the stone for us out of the groove? Verse four, and when they looked up, they saw that the stone was already rolled back. Verse five, going into the, to the tomb, they saw a young man sitting there uh, on the right side, clothed in a long, stately, sweeping robe of white, and they were utterly amazed, struck with terror. And he said to them, do not be amazed and terrified. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But be going and tell the disciples and Peter, he goes before you in the Galilee. And you'll see him there just as he told you, right? Then they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling, bewilderment, and consternation had seized them. And they said nothing about it to anyone, for they were held by alarm and fear. Now Jesus, having risen from death early on the first day of the week, appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he'd driven out seven demons. She went, she reported it to those who had been with him as they grieved and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and that she had seen him, what? What's it say? They did not believe. Now, why I just wanted to point this one out before I go back to Romans is because you remember there's three times in the Gospels where it says Jesus expressly, and in the Greek it's this deep, strong, he expressly, Jesus expressly told the disciples what was going to happen? I'm going to go into Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be tortured. I'm going to be beat and all this stuff. And they're going to kill me. Now, if you don't believe me, you have a book called the Bible. Read it because it's in there. They're going to kill me, but I'm going to rise from the dead on the third day. He says this three times. He looks them in the eye 
and says, guys, this is going to happen. It happens. But I mean, I'm just saying this. What I'm trying to say is if you think you don't have the opportunity to have some dullness of understanding or some hardness of heart, you need to wake up because these dudes walked with the master. Please hear what I'm trying to emphasize that. They're walking three and a half years with the Son of God. We all know the verse that I like to quote, the last verse of the Gospel of John, had all the things, had all the things that he'd done been written. I do not suppose the world itself would be able to hold the volumes therein. Think of what they saw. And yet, they simply don't, they don't believe. They, they don't believe. Their hearts, how can your heart be hardened when you're walking with the Son of God shoulder to shoulder? But they were. I'm just saying they were. So I don't want you to get upset about that. I don't want you to be condemned about that. I just want you to recognize you need to stay sharp. You need to stay sharp. Because it can come to all of us. It does come to all of us. This is why I, you know, how many times did we harp on this stuff? We do have to stay before the Lord. We have to have a place of consecration that we will not violate. I mean, that place in the morning or wherever, whatever, just bless God. That's nothing, nothing is going to take that away from me. This is my very life. This is where I draw forth the breath of God. I'm not going to allow that to be interrupted. I'm just not going to do it because it's too important to my life. And like I said, the emphasis on this, it's like the burner has been turned up to 5 billion degrees centigrade because of what Julie's going through. But I don't care what caused it. I'm saying I wish I would have had this sense, you know, years ago. But I'm not going to shame myself for it now. But now as a pastor, my job is to do my best to alert you, whom I dearly love, and I really do, whether you think that's just pastor talk or not. I, I love you guys. And I just, like he keeps saying, stir up their minds, their pure minds by way of remembrance. I don't care how spiritual you think you are. You can lose that precision. You can begin to have that sharpness dulled. If these guys walking with God, they're walking with God. Nothing he ever, no word he ever spoke fell to the ground. They're walking with God. And they find this as hard of heart. So verse 11 again, and when they heard that he was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. After this, he appeared in a different form to two of them, you know, on the road to wherever I forget now. You know what I'm trying to say. Forget, sorry, I'm going somewhere else already in my spirit. After this, he appeared to a different form of the two of them as they were walking along the way in the country, and they returned, they returned to Jerusalem and told the others, but they did not believe them either. <laughs> Afterward, he appeared to the 11 apostles themselves as they reclined at the table, and what did he do? He reproved them, and he reproached them for their unbelief, their lack of faith, and their hardness of heart. Why? Have you let your heart, I mean, you guys have been with me. Storms at sea, feeding the multitudes, healing lepers, healing the blind, healing the crippled. I've 
commissioned you to go out and you went out and you came back all rejoicing because devils were subject to you. You've done all of this and your heart is hard. He reproved them for their unbelief, their lack of faith, their hardness of heart because they had refused to believe those who had seen him and looked at him attentively after he had risen from the dead. And then he just goes in and tells them, you know, gives them the great commission. Hallelujah. So, hi, good morning. Good morning. Come on, Jason, wake up. I don't want to have to walk out there and slap you, man. I'm, I always remember when I was principal of the Bible school, I learned from another guy, and I had big old pieces of chalk. I don't know if you've ever seen those big pieces of chalk, about as big as your thumb. I could nail a dude in the forehead from four rows. I'm seriously, I just, I bap and I hit him in the head with a piece of chalk when they'd fall asleep. This is my school, I could do what I wanted. So Jason, just know I don't have any chalk up here, but I, I'll, I'll throw the whole table if I need to. He wasn't really sleeping, I'm just picking on him. All right. Anyhow, glory to God. Now, uh, so I'm gonna, I just wanna take you to a couple of familiar places again. Like I said, this is like a, what's they call it, a buffet. First, or 2 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 5, we all know about, you know, this. It's like I said, I wanted to speak a little bit about, again, the main thing I've been praying about is, like I said, I do not want your heart to be dull of hearing when it comes to the fact that you are the righteousness of God now in Christ Jesus. Do you hear me? Now. I've said it before. When you get to heaven, you will not be any more right with God than you are right now. If you have accepted Jesus Christ, you are right with God. I'm telling you, it's easy to say that. But you've got to... It's got to be so deep that you actually... It, it, what it produces, the fruits of righteousness, is what the Bible calls the fruit of the revelation. Again, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 34 is a verse I've always loved. This word says, awake unto righteousness. Awake unto the fact that you have right standing with God and sin not. I say this to your shame for you lack the sense of the presence of God. You have the presence of God. Christ is in you. Hallelujah. See, that makes me happy. It doesn't seem to do much for you. You'd rather watch your soap opera. I get it. But you ain't going to get the life from the soap opera than you're going to get from the truth of Almighty God. I am right with God. But this verse here is probably today, I've never really spoke to this because, and even today I'm probably doing a bit of disservice because I'm not going to really take it out in detail because I've already, we've already, I've already had church this morning. But I want to read a familiar verse. Second Corinthians 5, I'm going to start at verse 16. Well, actually, I'm going to start at verse 14. For the love of Christ, hallelujah, the love of Christ, controls and urges and impels me. Because I'm of the opinion and the conviction that if one died for all, then you know what? All died. And he, my Jesus, died for all so that all those who live might live no longer to and for themselves, but to and for him who died and was raised again for their sake. Consequently, in consequence of all this, from now on, we estimate and regard no one from a purely human point of view. 
in terms of natural standards of value. No, even though we once did estimate Christ from a human viewpoint and as a man, yet, you see, now we have such knowledge of him <laughs> that we no longer know him in terms of the flesh because we knew now, you know, he's the son of God. And here's a familiar verse. Therefore, try to see the depth of Paul's heart trying to really speak to this verse that we all can quote so easily. If... Any person, you see, if you are engrafted in Christ, if you're born again, please don't just fluff over this because you can quote it. Listen, if, if you're engrafted in Christ, and you are, you in this church, I don't know anyone in here, I, everybody I see, I basically know, you are engrafted in Christ by virtue of your faith. You believe in Jesus. Is that true? Amen? Right? Born well, you believe in Jesus, don't you? I know you do. If any person is engrafted in Christ, you are a new creation. You remember in the Greek, it says a new species of being. It's something so brand new that there's no possible way to relate to a past existence. I said there's no possible way to relate to a past existence because you're that new, because of what Christ has done through something called faith. Belief in the grace. Hallelujah. You are a new creation altogether, a new creature altogether. The old, previous, moral, spiritual condition passed away. Behold, look and see the fresh and new has come. But all things are from God who through Jesus Christ. Here's where it comes. The next three verses. Next two verses. But all things are from God. All these new, brand new things. Who through Jesus Christ reconciled, restored, brought back into harmony, reconciled us to himself, received us into something called favor. Hallelujah. Received us into favor and brought us into harmony with heaven. It says with himself. And then he gave to us, he figured that if we actually recognized that we'd been reconciled to God, that we might want to tell somebody else that, hey, you don't have to be afraid of sin, sin anymore. There's a God who broke the back of it. You don't, it has no dominion anymore. He said, and he gave to us this ministry of reconciliation that by word and deed, we might aim to bring others into harmony with him. Harmony. Everybody say harmony. I like a good harmony. Bring him into harmony. He's brought... I know you can't sing as well as I can, and you don't have the magnificent voice I do. Hallelujah. You know that... I, I know Cynthia just loves my voice so much. She says I'm better than Pavarotti ever was. You know what I mean? <laughs> Shoot. But I'm in harmony with God. Harmony. We flow in the same rhythm. Only if I keep dancing to his tune. But I'm in harmony with heaven. That's what Jesus has done. Don't you laugh at me, did you? I know that you dance every once in a while. You try to boogie, you grab Tina and start throwing around the room. I know. I know your secrets. That we might aim to bring others into harmony. Because listen, verse 19. It was God 
personal. I'm trying to stir up your mind by way of remembrance. I don't want your heart hardened from something that's being said here. It's one of the most potentially powerful. Well, it is one of the top in the top five of everything God wants you to know. It was God. Everybody say it was God. It was God. It wasn't somebody's idea. It was God personally present in Christ. Reconciling and restoring the world to favor with himself. This next phrase. And the Amplified says this. Not counting up. Not counting up. Okay, there's sin number one. There's sin number two. There's three, four, five. Not counting up and holding against men their trespasses, but canceling them and committing to us the message of reconciliation or the restoration to favor. Now, there's a ton of stuff here anybody could teach on. But in the King James, or the New King James, it says not imputing to us. And this is what I want to say that can be very concerning for some, but glorious for others who have chosen to believe. The word imputing, he, he no longer imputes our trespasses to us. The thing that you have to understand, this is where like when you listen to people who really do have a good understanding of the Greek, whether it's ancient or classic or Hebrew, whatever, I, and you know, I was just blessed. I had good teachers. It's, it's in Thayer's lexicon. It's in Strong's. It's in, I forget, I can't remember, Little and, I think it's Little and Hendricks is the name of it. All of it says this is a vitally important impactful statement because the word impute is in present tense aggressive. He, listen, so that you really hear what I'm saying because some of you are going to go away and say that can't be true. He's not, he, had, he didn't just cancel all your past sins. It's present tense. Right now, today, this moment, it's present tense. Aggressive. He does not impute sin to you anymore. Where there is no law, there's no sin to transgress. Romans. Ooh, it gets touchy because I know the thoughts that come up. And some other verses, but again, you have to know a lot of scripture and you have to truly understand covenant language. But I'm just trying to shock you into thought process now because to think about God, everything from God, God is love. Is God love? God is love. Now, does God still not want us to sin? Of course. But is God possibly smarter than you? Just a little bit, just maybe. Maybe not Deji, but he's smarter than everybody else. You know what I mean? He's smart. He's smarter than John, for sure. Sorry, John. I just love John. I can only pick on people that I love. But I love all of you, so it's tough. I'm going to pick on all of you at some point. He knows that if I actually begin to believe that he no longer imputes sin to me. 
I'm going to make you mad now. I'm going to really shake you up. You're going to say, some people are going to say he's being heretical. He's not even going to impute tomorrow's sin to me. If, if you actually grasp the strength and the might and the glory of this biblical truth that's spoken of particularly in Hebrews, his faith, his hope, his trust is in his goodness. That again, Romans 2, 4, that his goodness will draw their hearts to repentance. Now, do some people negate it? Absolutely. So don't misquote me. Do you hear me? Do some people prostitute it? Absolutely. But it does not deny the fact and the power of what God has done. Because again, see, if you wake up to this, 1 Corinthians 15, 34, most of the body of Christ is asleep to this, and they are still, when we used to teach in Bible school, sin conscious. They are so sin conscious. They are so sin conscious that they don't know again that they are their own worst enemy, and they negate everything God's trying to do, trying to get into your life, trying to get through to you, trying to bring into your family, trying to bring into your career, whatever it is. Because Human nature, you've heard me say this before, is when we know we've done something, quote-unquote, not good, not right, we feel the absolute need, we know we deserve punishment. I mean, that's human nature. Oh, my God, I need to feel bad for at least another 32 days. You know, I really, I need to, man. I mean, you know, I need, oh, my God, I've sinned before God. Oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Well, again, remember, you've heard all these little statements that sound clever to some, but, you know, when you sinned is not when God found out about it. It's not when, you know, what I'm trying, God knew when you screwed up, when you screwed up. But when, you know, his blood has made this way, he said, all you got to do is be honest with me, confess it. I didn't say confess it or burn. <laughs> That's some people's attitude about God. That's what they did. You know, he said, just confess it. Let's get rid of it. And by the way, because of your honesty with that one, I'll go ahead and cleanse you from any other, any other unrighteousness in you. See, I love you that much. I'll cleanse you from this stuff you don't even know needs to be cleansed. My soap does a good job. Hallelujah. Here's hope, heaven's hope is that when you actually realize, have you actually done this? Everything that you've heard me say in tangent ways in the past, sin loses its attraction, is something that becomes so alive to you. I, 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 God loves me. God's forgiven me even before I've asked, really. But I still go to him because it's not when he forgives me, he forgave me in Christ. He's faithful Remember that burn? It's, he's faithful now and, to, and just to forgive you. See, we come and confess our sins. When we do that, it's for us. It's not for him. Because for him to be faithful, and you read it in what they call the participle sense, is what they teach you in Bible school. When you read it like that, it shows you that, you know, to be God, to be faithful means something has to already be in place to be faithful to. He's faithful to what he already did in Jesus. He's faithful, and it's, in his mind, it's just because Jesus paid the price. 
Hallelujah. I'm sorry, but I'm getting myself excited. My Jesus paid the price. I can't pay it. I'm not going to try to pay it. I can't pay it. It's impossible. He paid it. I have been freed from the power of sin through the death and resurrection of my Jesus. Hallelujah. And I am the righteousness of God now because I'm hidden in Christ. Hallelujah. Sorry if, it, if I had, let me have my own party. I don't care what any of you think. I don't care. But it's the truth. But people still, I'm telling you, man, I've been around. I'm not Abraham. <laughs> I'm not the ancient of days. But I've been around so many big churches and had so many opportunities to minister in so many of them in the States and around you know, in the early days. The, 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 those are the two things that the pastors of huge churches, I would, you know, I still don't, like I said, even today, I think I've said something embarrassingly to Tina last week, but, you know, I still have these pastors call me, pastors that are pastoring thousands of people, you know, and they call, my phone rings, and it's this guy from Atlanta, or it's this guy from New York, and I go, God Almighty, what are they calling me for? I've got 25 people. I'm, and you know, oh God, please don't let them miss here my heart. That's not me going, I rock. <laughs> no, 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 no. But when I would preach in their churches, you know, the, the two things I always taught, you know, the love walk and the righteousness of God. And their words, you know, and anybody, words wouldn't happen to me, brought more richness to my life than anything else. And anything else. See, we talk about it all. We need all the wise counsel of God. But the foundation has to be laid correctly. We build on no other foundation than Christ Jesus himself and him crucified for us. There be no other foundation than the love of God so deeply to us that he remitted our sin, cleansed us from unrighteousness. And we sang it this morning. I am a child of God. Will he chasten me? Absolutely. Will he punish me? Absolutely not. Every ounce of punishment went on Jesus. Every ounce of punishment for any sin, past, present, or future went on Jesus. And when you have your spiritual eyes opened enough to actually begin to see that, it changes you so dramatically you won't even know yourself. I am right with God. I've been brought into harmony with God, but the issue is sin, consciousness. You've been taught to feel guilty, and mostly the fault lies in churches. Because 95 percent of churches says, say this, they say, if you, if you do good, you'll get good. If you do good, you'll get good. If you do good, you'll get good. It's all about do. You got to do this, 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 this. No. In Christ, it says, Believe me and you get good. It's just that simple. You can't do good enough to deserve anything in Christ. He did it because I couldn't. Hallelujah. Do you actually hear that? I was a heroin addict for 15 years. Do you understand? Every waking moment of the day, you know what I mean? Except I was dealing most of the time so I didn't have to hustle for it. You know, boom, 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 blood, blood, needles, blood, needles, blood, needles, blood, violent crime, rifles being shot at three or four times. In those days, I won't tell you what I did to others because you don't need to know because that's a dead man. He's not alive anymore in here. But the stuff is, I mean, you know, going to prison in and out, the violence and stuff. 
<laughs> I've been redeemed and I'm kind of happy about it. I can't help it. I am. It's, you know, it's, it's, but like I said, I was sin conscious. All they said is, oh, what are you doing? And I remember my friends, good friends, pastor friends. I remember praying for the sick. You know, he doesn't think this way. I can call his name. Actually, he's in heaven now. Tom Tiemens. He was director of Teen Challenge. Tom was a great guy. But you know the old thing, somebody come up, sit in the chair. Let's see, I think you've got, you got back pain. One of your legs is shorter than the other. You know what I mean? And he would, you know, look and absolutely somebody's. And, but then he'd pray for them. I always remember this one day. You know, he prayed for this. I still remember the guy he prayed for, Eddie Summers. Eddie Summers was our children's pastor. He's a great guy. He pastors four churches down in my old hometown that are incredibly successful. Anyhow, and his leg didn't grow out at first. His leg didn't grow out. And Tom looks at him dead serious. Is there a sinner in your life? It don't make no difference in sin. Now, this is going to upset you because of what most churches teach. I got to tell you, Jesus Christ healed sinners. If you think you've got to wait for everything in your life to be right before God will heal you, you're way off track because our God loves you so much. His love overwhelms every fracture and every short circuit there is in your life. But I'm telling you, the majority, and I mean the big, big, big over 95% of churches do, they draw the line between saying, mm, I believe in grace, but oh, wait a second, that's getting to be that stuff we call sloppy agape. Greasy grace. I'm telling you, if you read the book, you've got, let me tell you this. In Proverbs it says this, if you truly reverence God, if you truly become a man or woman who really understands the fear of the Lord, He will show you the deep, the hidden, and the secret meanings of His covenant. Did you hear me? He'll show you the deep, the secret, hidden meanings. You'll simply have greater revelation because of the depth of your fresh reverence of God. There's a lot of stuff. And you know, the thing is about this is remember also, because like I said about God's love, God loves us at whatever stage we're at. So please don't mishear me. But I'm trying to spit out this truth. Sin consciousness will keep the door of God's blessing shut. Because you're always looking at your own lack of goodness instead of looking at the glorious goodness of God. And again, let me just turn and I'll finish with this. Like I said, I can't. Takes too much. Like I said, it's a whole Bible course. But you know these verses, Romans 5, about the grace of God. But I want to read it anyhow because I love it. I love it. I love it. And I'm going to give my ancient illustration because to me it's still the best illustration on the planet for me because it's what I saw. I'll start in Romans 5, 12. Therefore, you know what they say. Look and see what is therefore. Read the previous verses. As sin came into the world through one man. What time is it? Let me look at my watch. It's just 2.15. We're all right. No. <laughs> I love it when people look at their watch real quick. Therefore, but really, please have ears to hear just for maybe 10 minutes and not reality, okay? As sin, as, in other words, just like, just like, as sin came into the world through one man, and death is a result of sin, that one man's sin. So what happened? Death spread to all men. No one was able to stop it. 
No one was. Because it was in the spirit of the first man that all mankind came from. No one was able to stop it, to escape it, because all men sin. Miss the mark. To be sure, sin was in the world. But it was in the world before ever the law was given. Remember, the law came to show up sin, to show up more of the nastiness of sin. That's what the only thing the law was given for. Because a lot of them still didn't get it. To be sure, sin was in the world before ever the law was given. But now here again, I've already quoted, but what's it say? But sin is not charged to men's account where there is no law to transgress. I know, I, listen, trust me, I know this is going to cause a lot of questions later because your head, the unsanctified part of your brain, the unrenewed part of your brain will click in like it did for me for years. It did, I'll be honest, you know, I'm a thinker. God made me a thinker and I think these things and I couldn't see it. It didn't make sense. It didn't make sense. I was immature enough in the spirit to think things had to make sense here. I didn't understand that belief was here. And I didn't understand the power of what actual belief would produce out here. If I believed the truth, because Jesus said the truth will actually make you something called free. It's all about freedom. Sin is not charged to men's account where there is no law to transgress. Did Jesus Christ fulfill the law? You have to answer that for yourself. But you see, we are lawmakers by nature. Fallen nature, Dr. Coe used to quote this all the time, we're lawmakers by nature, we're lawbreakers by nature. We will make and reinforce a law that satisfies the way we feel about it when we make a mistake. We'll make something that gives us a little more freedom of, or a sense of relief well, if I do this, okay, Father, well, I'm going to crawl on my belly to, you know, Sinai for the next 25 years and put hair cloth on and roll in ashes because then I'll be more free and I'll feel better about myself because of when I lied to that person the other day. You know, when I lied to Des and told, me, told him I thought he was good looking, I, you know, I lied. I just flat out lied. And, you know... So, Father, you know, I go through a forgiveness thing where I feel guilty and I go, I need to go through the shame. It's only right that I feel the shame. It's only right that I feel the guilt. But, you know, read the scriptures where it says that there shall be no more guilt. Guilt. He erases guilt. But see, you don't like being erased from guilt. You kind of, guilt's your good friend because it makes you feel better about yourself. At least I'm guilty about it. What if God said, I love you because you don't feel guilty? Because you actually believe my Jesus so much, you no longer feel guilty. You see, because again, we have to come up several levels to actually grasp what he says is the power of his goodness. Let me keep reading. 
Yet, verse 14, death held sway from Adam to Moses, the lawgiver, even over those who did not themselves transgress a positive command as Adam did. Adam was a type, a prefigure of the one Jesus who was to come. He was a type in reverse. Adam was destructive. Jesus was saving. And here's the verse. You know I'm coming to this one. Like I said, I've still got another three and a half hours in me about this right now, but I ain't going to do it because David's already getting upset. I can always tell when David starts to get upset. He puts his head down just a little bit and he starts, he gets his half little kind of, it's not a smirk, it's kind of a little, don't let shake your head at me like that. Man. I watch you, you kind of do this, you kind of do one of these. Really subtle. But <laughs> of course, Denise is obvious, so she just goes. <laughs> but listen to this. Set my humor aside. I wish you could see the depth. I mean, you guys are readers. You've got brains. Get a lexicon. Get a few lexicons. Go up there. Study guides everywhere now. But God's free gift. It's not up there, is it? That's right. It's still not up there. Somebody back there has to be crucified later. But listen to it. Please. That way you can go home sooner if you'll really listen. I don't have to say it over and over again. But God's Free, everybody say free. God's free gift. It's a gift. You didn't earn it. You didn't earn it. You didn't earn it. You didn't earn it. But God's free gift is not at all to be compared to the trespass. The, what trespass? Adam's sin that caused death to go into every spirit of every human being ever born after him. But God's free gift is not at all to be compared to the trespass. His, now listen, here it is. Oh, I love it. I just love it. It's like candy. His grace, <laughs> I spit on myself. I'm doing good. His grace is out of all proportion to the fall of man. I said his grace this work he did in Jesus is out of all proportion to the fall. Well, what was the fall? Sin. And in the next verse, he says, nor, well, I've got to finish reading verse 15. For if one, if many died through one man's falling away, his lapse, his offense, much more profusely. And when I thought on that a long time, remember much more, when you read like in Vine's dictionary, it says, the, it says much more, there's about four, I think there's four much mores in Romans 5. It all says to be accompanied with a shout. <laughs> it's not much more, it's much more! So I'm sorry, I wanted to make sure Jason was awake. He moved again. But see, there, it speaks of an incredible emphasis. I'm not trying to be funny. Much more profuse. I love the word profuse. Profuse. It's like when they put so much cream on your strawberries, you don't know where to go. You know what I mean? See, Denise likes that because she's overflows. David, never mind, I'm not going to tell you what he does with all that spray and cream. Anyhow, but much more profusely did God's Grace and the free gift that comes to the undeserved, undeserved, of course you don't deserve it, the undeserved favor of the one man, Jesus Christ, much more did that abound and overflow to and for the benefit of many. Nor, verse 16, is the free gift. Now listen, he talks two times about things you don't compare the grace to. 
nor is the free gift at all to be compared to the effect of that one man's sin. Well, the effect of that one man's sin, what was the effect of it? Sickness, disease, poverty, you name it. Fear, dismay, shame, guilt. Nor is the free gift that ought to be compared to the effect of that one man's sin. For the sentence that followed the trespass of one man brought condemnation. That's where sin conscious people live. I said that's where sin conscious people live. Condemned, condemned, condemned. Because you did wrong. Nobody's saying you shouldn't do right. But you spend so much time thinking about the wrong you do that you don't think about the good that he did. And see, it's thinking about the good that he did that kills the desire to do the bad that you did. It's the goodness of God that's intended to draw men to repentance. Nor is the free gift that ought to be compared to the effect of that one man's sin, for the sentence following the trespass of one man brought condemnation, whereas the free gift that followed many transgressions brings justification. An act of righteousness for it is because of one man's trespass. For if because of one man's trespass, Adam, death reigned, you all know the verse, through that one much more Surely will those who receive it. Much more will those who receive God's overflowing grace. It's not just a glass full. It can't be contained because the grace keeps pouring. Much more sure will those who receive God's overflowing grace, undeserved favor, free gift of right standing that puts them into right standing with himself, much more so those of us who receive it start to reign as kings through the one man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. Well, like I said, I could teach on this for weeks and weeks because I used to and I love it. But let's just give my old illustration, like I said, and then you guys can go eat your popcorn or Cheetos or whatever. As for me, I'm, a, I'm going on a date this afternoon. What am, did, you, did I tell you last week what I'm doing this afternoon? Coach is going to watch the for me. I'm doing something deeply spiritual, Michael. You know, what, you know what it is? I've never been to an IMAX. And Nate's taking me to see the new Top Gun at 5 o'clock. That's where I'll be at 5 o'clock, worshiping God. Abby, don't give me that look. Abby just gave me the most serious look I've ever seen. She's looking at me like this. I'm serious. Yeah, I'm going to go see him ever. Hey, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm 75, but I'm alive. You know what I mean? And I'm like, I'm going to watch Top Gun. Hallelujah. But anyhow, listen. Listen. It reminds me, like I said years ago, I always remember this, this lady brought this uh, couple of friends into the church. I don't remember if this is the Commonwealth what They said, we really want you to meet our pastor. He's not normal. <laughs> forgotten that. I said, well, thanks, I think. <laughs> I'm not, still not sure what they meant by that, but I think I really know if I'm telling the truth. But listen to this. The grace of God is out of all proportion to the fall of man. The grace of God is all is out of proportion to the effect of that fall. The grace is bigger. And this is the old one I used to always say about sin consciousness. So just bear with my repetition. Let's say you walk in here next Sunday. You walk in that door, right? 
Now look at me. Everybody look at me. You walk in that door, and over on that side, over there where near John is in the sound, there's a 10-ton African elephant in the room. Whatever sound they make. I mean, Michael can probably do it better than me. Or Des can really do it, because he's good at making sound. There's a 10-ton elephant over there, right? That's a 10-ton elephant. Over here in this corner, you know what's there? It's there right now, is an ant. An ant. An ant. The elephant represents grace. Ant represents sin. They're out of all proportion. But this is what 99% of the church do. They walk in and they go, Oh my God, look at that ant! <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's the truth. Please don't dismiss that. Really, please, please help me provoke you. Be angry with me. Be angry if you want. Begin to think I'm a heretic. I don't care. Go search the Bible. Give yourself the true study and we'll find out who's right. I'm not saying that pompously. I want you to know the truth. I, I don't, what am I going to gain from lying to you? Could I be wrong? Absolutely. I've been wrong several times in my life, but I'm not wrong about this. I'm not wrong about this at all. I've lived it. I've seen it. I've done it. I've watched what it's produced in me. I've watched what it's produced in others who receive it. An elephant and an ant. The grace of God is this gigantic thing as big as this whole room. And the power of sin to God, see, to God, to God is that little ant. And we are raised up in church with all our consciousness looking at the power of that ant. My God, look at that ant. Do you see the legs? That ant's got six legs. What is it, six or is it eight? No, it's six. Right? Some of them may have it. Ah! And they describe the ant perfectly. Ooh, this one has two feeders up. And this one, look at They've got a little bit of color here. The thorax is a different color. And look at the bum, the rump of this thing. has got a whole other color. And they describe, and we really teach people how to describe the ant. Let's look at the ant. Let's look at the ant. Let's figure the ant out. We need to figure this ant out. After all, this ant is the big issue. This ant. Look at this ant. My God, it's an ant. It's an ant. I'm telling you, there's an ant in the house. I don't like talking about the ant. And he doesn't like us. Now, you, I, I didn't say that we don't have to deal with people who are perpetually rebellious. I didn't say any of that. Do you hear me? I didn't, like I said, a hardened heart. If people keep hardening their hearts, they'll reap the fruit of their way. Sin bringeth forth death. Why do you want to do that? But the solution to sin from heaven's point was grace. You don't set people from sin, set people free from sin, to keep preaching to them about sin. It's the goodness of God that's been ordained, anointed from heaven to set you and I free from the power of a sin of the devil who's been bound, who's been dealt a paralyzing blow, who's been defeated, who God through Christ annulled even death. We don't glorify the devil and we don't glorify sin. Our call is to glorify our God.
and to begin to say, you know what, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am right with God. Now, I reject that thought. That thought's stupid. You're not going to go through my mind, my soul, you stupid thing. That didn't mean. That sure didn't line up with grace and sure didn't line up with love and peace and loving one another. I'm not going to think that. And you just get good at it. No, get back. And pretty soon, your persistence, your endurance, the Bible says that I could teach on that. You know, we all could. The endurance in that one direction, it says, produces character. Endurance in an area produces character. And character produces something called hope. You begin to realize this is no big deal. And then the hope, suddenly you wake up to the fact that, hey, you know what? God's love's been poured out in my heart through the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm loved by God. I'm chosen. I'm not just singing about it. I is a child of God. I'm a member of his household. Nobody can pluck me out of his hand. Nothing can separate me from his love. Nothing. Nothing covers a lot of territory. Nothing. Because I'm in him now. My life is hid in Christ. So, Father, I just thank you once again. I pray this does some good, at least sets some people on the road to thinking more powerfully about this. And again, Father, I know I did it for years. I would try to think these things through, looking at how important it is not to sin. And I thought for so long, well, they're, they're not giving enough attention to wrongdoing. I didn't understand. I didn't see it. I didn't see the power. I didn't see your way. I just didn't. And I understand that. And I know that that's honestly before you. I know that's the case with still some of our people even here. Because again, it takes a gigantic step of faith to believe that we're free. Right now. And that I'm loved that much where you don't impute sin to me even today. And you won't impute sin to me tomorrow. And I know what that sounds like to some people. I know, I know, I know. But Father, I just pray that they will dig into the Word. They will dig and dig and dig and dig until they see it for themselves. Again, I quote Thessalonians. Those in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the Word with readiness of mind, but they searched the Scriptures to see if those things were true. So nobody in here has the right to believe anything I've just said unless you search it out for yourself. So I just bless you with that and I pray that you search it out for yourself in the holy name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. I just turn to your neighbor and say, I may not understand it all, but I'm free. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 